It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and or good morning. Thank you for being here. You have a choice. Make the right one. It's either welcome or good morning. I don't think and or works. I think only or. You know, I'm looking at this story here because this is pretty hilarious. Democratic Governor uh, Katie Hobbs, Democratic Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs, defends decision to keep busing migrants out of the state. Democratic Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs told reporters last week that she would continue the program under her Republican predecessor, Doug Ducey, to bus migrants out of the state. But the thing is, she would do it in a more humane and efficient way, so her way is okay. On Tuesday, she defended the program, telling the Arizona Sun that her administration would focus on ensuring that the state's continued payment of migrants' travel costs is efficient and humane. Uh. We just wanted to make sure that we were addressing the issues, and as I talked about many times in the campaign, in a way that was the best use of taxpayer resources and something that wasn't a political stunt. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a political stunt at all. (laughs) No. (laughs) Wow. Oh man, I'm telling you, <laughs> that's just amazing. Just, that's I funny. Just, I shake. I just shake my head. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure, yeah. yeah, right. Apparently, the pressure is getting on. Uh, pressure starting after you know she's started taking down parts of the uh, container wall, and people started coming across, and people start complaining. As we have said, though, you know, because uh, you saw the farmers complaining, right? Mm-hmm. Because people are destroying their crops coming yeah. across. Yeah, we said well, that's what the people of Arizona voted for. Right, they voted for this. Right. So apparently, some people are getting angry though that, and so she's going to, and that's it's political. She's doing it because of politics. Well, that's there's it. no way she's continuing what the Republican governor did because she wants to do it. It's the political pressure. Well, and that's it. The the. Uh Campaign promises very different in terms of the reality, especially in something like this with the border state. Arizona's been dealing with this for ages. The people of Arizona have been dealing with this issue forever. And this idea of, nope, open it up. We'll remove the barriers is never going to work. But that is now, she is a typical, uh, you know, Democrat now. Because a typical Democrat now is open the borders, but ship them elsewhere. Yeah, right. We're not going to be xenophobic here, but we're going to be xenophobic here. Right. We're not going to be xenophobic across the entire uh, chain link. I'm wait- th- this, this, part of the, this part of the chain, we won't be xenophobic. This part, we will be. I'm waiting for them to say, well, in our opinion, what we're doing is a an opportunity caravan. <laughs> they have opportunities in New York City 
Mayor Adams. What? No. This is this is the liberal circular firing squad that that this nation needs. Actually, I was going to say the one you and I have been waiting for, but it actually is the one that this nation needs. Because for the longest time, it was sanctuary cities, sanctuary counties, sanctuary states. Oh, no, no, no. We welcome everybody. We welcome everybody. We want everybody. And we are not going to spend our resources and cooperate with the federal government in enforcing federal law and enforcing the border. We're not going to do that. Because... It was the abstract. It was not plane loads and bus loads of individuals showing up in their cities because they weren't on a border. Well, now they are because every city, every town is a border town. This is a problem as a nation that we all have. And this idea that, oh, well, you know, we just need to no, the the liberals are in, in, and this is what I love about state and local politics is that you they think they can get away with a with adopting the the national liberal mindset, right? And the mindset that's how long has sanctuary city, sanctuary state policy been in you know been a political game? Seems like forever, twenty years. At least. I would I was going to say a couple of decades. Yeah, and what is it? That changes everything. When your town has to deal with the same things that the mayor of Del Rio has to deal with. When your city and your constituents are asking the same questions that the people in border towns are asking. That's what changes everything. And it is a totally different mindset. I mean, you see, uh, you know, more calls for... Uh, uh, Mayorkas to be gone. Mayorkas being gone is symbolic. It doesn't fix the border problem. I agree. I don't want him in that office either. But it's his boss that concerns me more. Yeah, when when he speaks, that's his boss speaking. And I don't, the agenda is not going to change. No. You could put Mayor Pete in that position. And it would be the same. It's going to be the same policy Except that he, will not change. And and he would set the example by vacationing for That's long right. periods of time right. in Mexico. That's right. All right, I've got Eric Adams here. I've got an uh, audio cut of All him. Right. This is on MSNBC. All right, here we go. How serious is uh, the, the crisis at the border? And what, what pressures are putting on you as a mayor of New York City? Well, I believe that when I took the trip to the El Paso, you could see firsthand the impact of how it not only uh, harmed the foundation of El Paso, but look at Chicago, Houston, Washington, New York City. This is just unfair for cities to uh, carry the weight of a national problem. We're going to open four more uh Hotels, emergency hotels. We have to open Herc's. Uh, this is a major financial impact on New York City and cities across this country. No Democrat, and he didn't give a damn when it was border, small border cities in the United States. He didn't care until it finally hit his city. 
Right. He never gave a damn about anybody else except, uh-oh, now this is this is affecting my city and my politics, a, a policy that I've always been in favor of. Which That's in the turn point. created yes. the crisis on the border for those very border towns and mayors of towns like Del Rio who have been dealing with it forever and now they say it's not fair. And who was it? Was it the D.C. mayor who said we're not equipped to handle it like they are in Texas? Yeah. I think Bowser said it, didn't yeah. Let's Let's have that conversation with the mayor yeah. uh, of Del Rio. Uh, let's go to Laredo. Let's go have these conversations in border towns. And, and how about you actually get on a plane and go to those towns and, and ask the people what they deal with every single day. This is not a situation where, oh, well, it used to be, you know, that's, that was the, the, uh, the abstract thinking anymore. It is the very reality of a, an open border. We have an open border. There's no other way to describe the southern border other than open. It's interesting because Adams is, in essence, playing a is trying to play a victim for the policies that he advocates. Think about this. I'm a victim of the policy that I want. Yeah. And I'm a victim of the policy of my city that says, come here if you're illegal. Right. And we will take care of you. And now we're a victim. Because we have to pay for what we have promoted we are to the entire world. Right. As we've been saying all along, when those who created that policy and a policy used you as a mayor now support and always have. Yeah. When, when they did that and didn't create a, a funding mechanism, why didn't they do that? Yeah. Why didn't they create and say, we're going to allocate these funds for this purpose, and we're going yep. and we're going to welcome them, everybody here. Well, because they needed this to remain in the abstract, and when busloads and plane loads started showing up in their towns and cities, they start freaking out because they know the people of their towns and cities are not going to accept it. And we always found it very interesting that all these cities that became sanctuary cities and which in essence says we will protect the criminal illegal immigrant we believe that the freedom of the criminal even the criminal illegal immigrant is more important than the safety and security of our own citizens and we will not abide by the federal law that exists today we will not cooperate with federal authorities but when what we have done creates an influx of illegal immigrants and migrants to our cities, we will scream that the federal government needs to take care of us for not abiding by the laws of the federal government and by, you know, but the funny thing is, the federal government's not abiding by their own laws either. When a Democrat's in in power, so maybe that's her excuse. I, I have to give I have to give them that. Well, well, you know, since the 
We want open borders. We want sanctuary cities. Biden wants a sanctuary country, so Biden should take care of us. <laughs> and and we'll just all ignore federal law. <laughs> yeah. That's right. where we're at now. I want to play this audio, though, from uh, Adams as he was on MSNBC again. I believe this was on, uh, I forgot what day this was this week, but talking about crime in New York City and how to make people feel safer. All right. Ready okay. for this? All right. Because crime is a problem in New York City today. But also crime. We see the front page of the New York Post here this morning. I'll hang it up. Talking about how there are some here in the Bronx shopkeepers that there's a sense of a feeling the police aren't doing enough. They're fed up with NYC crime. Shop owners are hiring private guards to fight back. Is that a wise strategy? What more can be done here? No, it is a, a wise strategy because I say this over and over again. Not only must the numbers reflect safety, but people must feel safe. So, yeah, businesses, we can't protect you anymore, so hire private security guards. Wow. My God. You're on your own. Why, why, why even have a government then? Why are you a mayor? You're on your own. Jeez, unbelievable. And this is, again, a choice. Yeah. Yeah. A choice made by the people of the yeah, city, by yeah, the way. It is, yep. If they, you know, if the whole defund the police thing came to their city and they rejected it, then none of this would have happened. Problem that liberalism is having right now is that's the number one liberal network in the United States. Both those audio cuts were from MSNBC. Yep. Liberalism is failing so bad, they actually have to acknowledge it on the most liberal network. Yeah. Except for Joy Reid's show. She yeah, she right. just she just pretends none of it's happening. Well, you know, I you can lo- live in your <laughs> delusional world, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I mean, and wasn't the Dick Durbin comment on the Biden documents, the Senate documents, MSNBC, that yes. was on Morning Joe, wasn't it? Yep. So that was M- MSNBC. Yep. Oh, yeah. Everything we played. Wow. The far right leaning MSNBC. We've played more critical <laughs> analysis of the Biden administration on MSNBC audio cuts today than any other network. Think about that. Yeah, there you go. I didn't even realize I was doing that either mm-hmm. until right now, that we played more negative criticism of the Biden administration today. The audio cuts we played, or the most of them today, have been from MSNBC. Wow. That's how bad it is. That's, yeah, it, and getting worse. 86690-RED-EYE. Starting and charging system-related issues are one of the most common causes of winter breakdowns. So when your batteries talk, it's important you listen. Knowing the warning signs that could indicate your electrical system needs attention can help you avoid getting stuck out in the cold this winter. Have your electrical system checked by a certified technician. If your vehicle begins to shut down electrical loads like radios and cab lights while in operation, this is a surefire sign that you're experiencing low battery voltage and continuing to run on these conditions can lead to additional electrical systems shutting down. This report brought to you by Luberfiner, engineering filters that are built to do more for heavy-duty fleets since 1996. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Take a look at some 
uh, the financial numbers uh, that are out uh, there. Um, looking at uh, some of the uh, food price outlooks for 2023. Hmm. And I wonder if I have the, I thought I found the up, updated numbers. What happened was I was just, just beginning of the show, I was listening, I could hear the, our USDA, our agriculture report, and they were talking about that uh, food is going to go up more than they thought it was going to go up this year. Yeah. Right. So that's still going to affect people. And I'm looking at the numbers. This is the outlook for 2023 based on the numbers from 2022. So we'll have hmm. that for you. Plus, the uh, the conference board's leading economic uh, uh, index, uh, which uh, consolidates uh, several measure, measures of where the economy is going, declined in December uh, in the t- uh, 10th consecutive monthly drop. Over the past six months, the index has shrunk 4.2%. The drop indicates an economy barreling towards a recession. They uh, the, they wrote so we'll get to the specifics of that uh, coming up. Plus, you saw you know we didn't talked about it much, but uh, Newsom and and uh, the liberal media in uh, in California after the shootings, talking about banning assault weapons and assault weapons weren't part of the uh, weren't part of the crimes that were committed. Right, right. And it's just like well, so you want to ban what wasn't used? And I know in the one shooting. The, the the more rural farm shooting that uh, that gun's already banned right by California law mm-hmm. and assault weapons are I mean it's like California has the toughest uh, you know some of the toughest uh, and that's what I think Newsom was going remember Newsom was going crazy at Fox it's because Fox is pointing that out yeah he responded to them because yeah. what he did in response to the shootings was go to the old playbook. And there really is, for a liberal, you know, even in California, um, you can say the same old things. Well, you know, the gun culture, blah, 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 blah. But when you get down to, okay, what are you going to do as governor? Well, it's not, it doesn't apply to these shootings here. And in one of the cases, as you point out, a current law was broken, so the ban meant nothing. And that happens time and time again, because somebody who is intent on taking lives is going to find a way to do that. So the question is, what is the governor going to do to prevent this in the future? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that until we learn more about the shootings, every shooting, every situation like this is unique I'm not sure what any government official could do. Because we've talked about it multiple times. I don't know how many times over the years. But they can use box cutters on a plane. Or they can use a truck filled with explosives. Or a number of things to take multiple lives. If that is their intent, they will find a way to do it. The 
so good, you know you want to listen again with our podcast, available on our app and at RedEyeRadioShow.com. And we're Red Eye Radio, 866-90-RED-EYE. All right, it's from the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, the food price outlook for 2023. Hmm. Um. Right now, they say the uh, the consumer price index for food, the all items consumer price index, a measure of the economy wide inflation, decreased by 0.3 percent in November uh, to December, uh, and was up 6.5 percent from December of 2021. The level of food price inflation varies depending on whether the food was purchased for consumption at home or away from home. In 2022. Uh, food prices increased by 9.9%. Food at home price increased by 11.4%, while food uh, away from home uh, prices increased by 7.7%. Um, let me just see here. The Looking for the... Uh, uh, here they go. Food prices are expected to grow more slowly in 2023 than in 2022, but still above historical average rates. In 2023, all food prices are predicted to increase 7.1%. Food at home prices, groceries, are predicted to increase 8% in 2023. That's on top of everything. This is why when they talk about the fact that, well, inflation's going down. No, it's not. The rate of inflation is going down, but prices are going up. Right. Inflation is still increasing. So food at home prices are predicted to increase uh, 8% with the prediction interval, you know, from low to high. Mm Mm-hmm. From 4.5% to 11.7% on the high end is the projection. So they're using the average, which is 8%. But it could go high as 11.7%, almost 12% for 2022. Food away from home prices are predicted, uh, again, that means restaurants, to increase 8.2% with the prediction interview interval from the low of 6.7% to a high of 9.7%. And it's funny because I had to uh, look it up yesterday in, in terms of the analysis on the egg prices. I was just, while you were reading that, checking uh, my Powerball ticket to see if I could afford eggs. <laughs> uh, I didn't win. And the answer is no. Uh, the good news is that my cholesterol may drop a little bit. But the... They were they were talking about the replenishing the supply of chickens, and as these uh, uh, chickens come into the supply now, uh, because they had to euthanize so many of them uh, when the uh, the the bird flu outbreak basically had them you know euthanizing uh, millions and millions of these chickens. So now you replenish that supply, well to get to peak production. It's roughly a 40-week period. So it will be August or September wow. before you start seeing prices level out. I was noticing some price wars, lost leaders at certain 
you know, spend $500, get a free dozen eggs. Spend $1,000, get two free. <laughs> Remember when you used to, everybody used to give away their free turkeys at Thanksgiving? Yeah. Spend 50 yeah. bucks, you get a free turkey. Yeah. Uh, spend 500 and you get one free egg. Um, I saw some, some sales where it was like, you know, uh, eggs on sale. You know, I don't know if there was a purchase required or not. I didn't look into it. Um, the The supply is going to have to greatly increase. And assuming that the process in place will not be disrupted, it will be at least August or September before we see egg prices come back down to where they were. And I don't, what my question would be, but will they get back down to, you know, because you you look at, uh, I guess, probably 21 levels, end of 21, about uh, maybe, maybe a year ago, uh, when the prices really started to spike along the way. So you add inflation, will they ever get down to the prices? Likely no, that we were paying before. And that's because the inflation, as you just pointed out, is not going to go away. Well, even if you hit the the average, which is 7.1% this year for food, mm-hmm. remember, that's based, that's a percentage of what you were paying a year ago. Right. You know, or or, or maybe if, if they're looking at, okay, I don't want to make that case. They may be saying that what the prices were on December 31st, it'll be 7.7% higher at the end of the year. I don't think right. they're looking at the same as they did inflation, breaking it down that way. But if that is... Think about that. Seven point seven percent higher than the elevated rate that they were on December thirty first. By the end of the year, mm-hmm. that means that food prices overall, since inflation began, really in about April of twenty one, right? Yeah. You the things that you may buy that you actually eat. I mean, the average price probably of of, of if you took the average across the board, not all. Food has gone up the same, probably is twenty five percent. No, I, I, point, I, when you pare it down to I, those items, yeah, and 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 if it's if you pare down the items that you actually eat, right? Because a lot of yeah. meat stuff has been up thirty thirty five percent already. Yeah, 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 then you're talking that you're you're talking an increase of a third for many of the things that people actually, you know, the things they eat the most, right, right, at home, right, the most common items, right. You could have an increase between thirty and forty percent. And from what it was in 2021. Right. Well, and, and, and then I just, you know, then the rent rents through the roof. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I have to say this. I, I, you know, I've always lived in, I've lived in places where, you know, rent is not as high as New York city. And one of the things that, that I, one of the things I love, and you're the one that got me, you're, you're the one that addicted me to YouTube by, by actually paying not to have the commercials. <laughs> and I watch everything. Yeah. I mean, I watch the you know all the van lifestyles, mm-hmm. and people say, oh, is that what you want to do? And I say, no, I don't want to do any of this. Mm-hmm. But I really love watching people who live a completely different life that I would never want to live. Yeah. And right. so one of the, I think the guy's name is Cash Jordan. Mm. Yeah. And he's a guy, he's a realtor. Have you seen him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, real nice guy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but lives in New York City, and he just goes through all these neighborhoods and all these apartments. Right. And I'm not kidding. He walks into an apartment, and I'm judging by what 
you know, an apartment I would think would be here that has increased since I lived in it because I haven't lived in yeah. an apartment in yeah. in 16 years now, mm-hmm. but or a townhouse or so, any place that I rented, and I'll look at it and I'll say, oh, okay, that's about 1500 6400 a month. I see these, I, seriously, I, now I didn't, there are people that love living in the city. I know people that would prefer not to live where I live, which is, you know, in the suburbs, more suburbs, rural area, because there's farmland just a minute from my house mm-hmm. and lots of it. So I'm one of like one of the last subdivisions. And I know some people like it, but there's a ton of people that have to look at what you can get outside of a New York City and say, OK, I've had it with when you think about the crime and everything else. And you look at these small places they live in and I'm constantly amazed now, some of them are really neat places. I'm like, I'd like to spend a weekend there. Mm-hmm. And he does a great job of showing all the stores in the neighborhood and everything that you could do if you lived in this particular place and where the subway is. But at the end of it, I'm like, I could never live there. I could never live there, even if I had the money, because I'd look at it and say, I'm not getting my dollar's worth for for the kind of life that I wish to live. Right. And I'm thinking, well... He's a younger guy. They're not really attempting to get somebody like me. Mm-hmm. And so be a younger person. And I'm thinking to myself, as a younger person, I wouldn't want to put up with that. Right. Well, I'm always amazed at these home buying shows that I guess I haven't seen one in a long time. But back in the day, several years ago, HGTV had a lot of these shows. And they start with, Jim works for the post office and makes $45,000 a year. His wife, Susan, is a first grade teacher and makes $39,000 a year. Their budget for their home is (laughs) $750,000. I said, not unless their parents are involved. And it's always like <laughs> California. I, I we follow uh, my wife and I follow a, uh, a, one of the channels we follow. It's uh, a uh, a chef, outdoor chef life uh, on on uh, on YouTube, and and his uh, significant other uh, Jocelyn, and they were renting a house for a while. We were following them when they moved into this house in the Bay Area, San Francisco. And we were thinking, oh, man, they must be doing really well on YouTube because he left his full-time job as a chef to do YouTube. Just the other day, they moved out of their house and they talked about it. They said, well, we're going to live out of a suitcase for a while and create content on the road. And we put some stuff in storage. We put all our stuff in storage and moved out. And even the storage, is it's a lot cheaper than having to pay rent in the Bay Area. And I thought to myself... Ooh, something I've been saying as I watch in my mind as I watch these videos. And I think, how can you afford that? Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, most people can't. We've talked about how it really has San Francisco's become, um, and as they predict, it's becoming whiter and whiter because uh, working class people can't live there. The average person can't afford that area at all as a result minorities are being priced out of that area more and more and it's becoming the rich elite who live 
in cities like San Francisco. I don't know how they get it done in, I mean, you, you must have roommates or multiple generations. We do know yeah. a couple yeah. of people in our area, multiple generations living in one apartment. Well, first of all, no, thank you. And second of all, uh-uh. But if you want to live in these major metro areas, you know, you, you have only a few choices. Get a roommate or uh, commute, which means you've got to live outside the city for, you know, you, you, you travel into town, you know, an hour each way or something ridiculous. I, I don't know how. Yeah, they, I, they afford when it. when I watched that uh, the apartment uh, rental show from New York City that I that's where and it, I've only been watching that probably for about three months when I discovered it now and I find it fascinating the buildings and the how they make the these the apartments are really nice but they're small yeah most are extremely small right and they did one in a closet these people actually they pay like seven hundred dollars a month live in a closet this one this one girl lived in an apartment 111 inches by 91 inches and there's a little loft up there where she sleeps and it's like she lives in a closet and she has to open the door and there's a bathroom across the hall from her and it's like 700 a month i'm like you've got to be and she moved out of a bigger place because she's trying to save money and a professional and everything else she lives in a closet and i can guarantee the walk-in closet you have in your home yeah it's half the size yeah it's 111 inches by 91. Yeah. That wasn't a big, but, you know, some of them are a little bigger, but even the, you sit there and go, a studio apartment, mm-hmm. $3,700. What? And I'm thinking to myself, well, no wonder. I keep seeing all these articles, people moving to Florida and Texas. Yeah. Well, yeah. Come. Well, I saw, I saw this couple that was, uh, they were, they both still are li- uh, uh, working uh, out of New York City. Their companies are based there, but they can work from anywhere after COVID. And so they moved out of their apartment, paid 750000 for a luxury bus RV. And it's posh. And they say they love it. They say we can travel anywhere, work from anywhere. And now they create, they create content, even though mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Uh, it was an article, actually, that somebody... Uh, had written on them and said, we're never going back. We're not, I'm not going to, we don't feel safe in New York City and we're never going to go back to paying that kind of, you know, rent. If if we want to pay for something, we'll have this, we paid for this and we can travel anywhere and we can vacation and work at the same time. Yeah, but one key question, hmm? do they empty their own black tank? Yeah, right. And you actually can hire people to do that for you, believe it or not. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Listen to Red Eye Radio wherever you are with the Red Eye Radio app. Available on Android and iPhone. Download it now. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. The other piece of economic news, the conference board's leading economic index shrunk 4.2%, the fastest six-month decline since the beginning of the pandemic. It's also not good.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, we're Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app. And if you can't listen live overnight, you can listen when and where you want. Uh, all right. What do we got here? Oh, yeah, just I want to finish this uh, here because we had, we're looking at some of the economic news out there and the food price outlook for 2023. Mm. Not looking good. Uh, average uh, home uh, of food you buy for your home uh, will be up. The average they have is 7.1%. Uh, this year could be as high as 11.7%. You take that uh, over the, the course of, well, from the beginning of 2021, which means by the time this year is over, you'll be talking about three years. You could have seen an increase uh, on the food items that you like, but that people really buy because all food items are not alike. But when you look at meat and things like that, you could be talking about a 30 to 40% increase from just three years earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that's just, you know, heck of a hit. You and I were talking about, you know, apartments and what, you know, and rent and uh, mortgage payments and things like that. Uh, it's, uh, it's not good. And plus then the other news that had come out because the, all the so-called quote experts, uh, have been differing a little bit on whether there's going to be a recession and where, you know, and actually not if there's going to be a recession, how bad of a recession we're going to get hit with this year. Uh, the conference, uh, board leading economic indicator, as they call it, which consolidates several measures of the economy's trajectory declined in December its 10th consecutive monthly drop. Several indicators pulled the index down, including a shorter average work week for employees, weaker manufacturing orders, and diminished consumer expectations. Over the past six months, the index has shrunk 4.2%, the fastest six-month decline since the beginning of the pandemic and one that continues to send an ominous sign about the economy's near-term prospects, economists from Oxford Economics said in a research note. The drop indicates, quote, an economy barreling towards a recession, end of quote, they wrote. Oxford predicts a recession will begin sometime between April and June of this year. The conference board data aligns with other recent surveys, including one from the National Association of Business uh, of the, for Business Economics that also shows most economic experts uh, expect a recession uh, sometime soon. Hmm. So, oh, not good. Yeah. Oh, and I, you know, I need to find that the the tweet hmm. that the president put out yesterday that manufacturing is booming. I mean, that's basically what he put out. I got to find that because I was like, does he what? mean in other countries? <laughs> I let me see if it was, if it was uh, this one. Um. No, it was, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure where it was. You know, he puts out, he puts out so much, but, uh, it was, I, I just, I just shook my head. I went, wow, you've got to be kidding me. It was, I mean, it was, it was very, 
you know, as as we say, it was very. Uh, um, oh, I what what, what out of touch, out of touch. Yes, yeah, totally, completely, totally total disconnect. Yes, that's what I meant. A, a complete disconnect, and just shaking your head, going, "Are you actually paying attention to what's uh, what's going on?" Oh, that's uh, that that's what it was uh, yesterday. Uh, it was yesterday it? afternoon. Yeah, and a very short tweet. American manufacturing is back. Yeah, that was it. Do you mean back in China? <laughs> back where? Well, and it's yeah. it's real. <clears throat> it's a real short tweet. I that was it. That was the tweet. American manufacturing is back. Like no link to a story. Not citing anything at all. And it makes you wonder. <laughs> tone deaf. That was the, yeah, that was, right. I, I, the, the, that was the phrase I was looking mm-hmm. for. It's completely yeah. tone deaf. Like, yeah. What are you talking about? There's, if, if you pay attention at all to the manufacturing numbers over the last couple of months, you're going, oh, whoa. And in December's, you're going, wow, because mm-hmm. it has now gone back to May of 2020. Mm-hmm. And to understand that, that's when we had the GDP. I'm not saying it's going to happen like this, but that's where you saw the GDP. Remember, in that month, yeah, would it drop thirty percent? Mm. Remember that, right? That was uh, March. Was it thirty percent? Or was it, was it unemployment or GDP? Yeah, because it was just for that month. It was, and it actually, was, it right, was because within the month, I think it was a, it was. That most of that activity happened within a few weeks. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was that month. It wasn't yeah. even the quarter. Right. It was that month. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. That's what it was. But, but which you- they most analysts called a recession and said because this get, got back into the uh, remember last year the definition of a recession had two consecutive periods of negative growth and one analyst was trying to say. Well, no, because we even look at March of 2020 and that drop, even though it wasn't even a full month, we consider to be a very short recession yeah. because it was so deep. It, it was, was like, so deep, right? Yeah. You know, okay. But the fact of the matter is, is that you look at it now and, you know, do we hit, where do we hit recession territory officially? Uh, we, we did hit it last year. But one of the things we said then, in the wake of that was, all right, what you start to look for is more and more stories of layoffs. As you're seeing. And this is what you're seeing right now. And it's January. Now, a lot of it is in big tech or tech-based companies. And some of what they were doing actually started last year. But when you start seeing the numbers that that were hitting over the last couple of weeks. We knew housing numbers were going to start to tank because rising interest rates, that's the effect. By design, that's part of it. You're trying to, the Fed, trying to slow the economy. I mean, that's what you're trying to do to try and bring inflation back in check. But the fact of the matter is, is that now most analysts are, are afraid that they're not going to go the full measure. So we're going to have long-term uh, 
pricing issues and inflation, even though the rate of inflation may drop, the prices are still on the rise and you're going to have a slowing economy because the interest rates have gone up. And so you look at that and and you look at where the, the companies are in terms of the forecasts. Well, when they're laying people off, it's about what's going on right now and also what they expect over the next year. And that's what you're seeing play out. The question is, where do we officially get, hit that uh, recession mark and how deep will it go? I guess uh, as an added question, you know, how yeah. because the pricing what we pointed out in terms of what to expect in 23 at the grocery store is not going to get any better. When you add, we talked about inflation in the way that uh, it affects everybody. There's no one is exempt from inflation, but then when you have the uh, recession uh, issue come about, then you have stagflation. That is a territory you never want to get to, and you certainly don't want it trolling along with no movement. Essentially, what we had in the 70s, where the inflation just didn't go away. That's cumbersome, and an economy can't sustain that. And that's the big question now as to what the Fed will will, uh, will, will do and, and how long-lasting uh, it'll be because core inflation is still high. Mm-hmm. You see the projection for food, and and this is and and again, this is where you have, you know, because probably of the demand, the s- supply chains are clearing up. Right. Actually, shipping's going down a little bit in price. Mm-hmm. Shipping's been going down, mm-hmm. and so you see that clearing up. Yet you're still seeing an increase in prices. You're still seeing now not not a basically a, a after what we've dealt with all this time. You know, you haven't seen. Okay, there's a you know there's a there's a demand uh, for goods. Uh, you see that going down, and manufacturing mm-hmm. across the board has been down. That's why Biden putting that out yesterday. I said he, I you know his office there apparently put that out. I know he didn't put that out, mm-hmm. but you just went. How tone deaf can you be if you're paying attention to where manufacturing's going? If you're paying attention, we talked yesterday. You know about uh, about you know the unemployment out there. There's another story out there about you know being unemployed from home, which yeah. which is you know you've been working from home and all of a sudden and they talked about uh, it's a story about the people at Vox, you know the media company Vox.com and we've used them once in a while for some of the stories they've had and the people getting laid off there and the problem is oh they're getting laid off and they're all home alone. It's like well they were home alone working but now they're home alone unemployed and the problems that uh, that come with that and and you see now uh, every single day you know uh you know from tech companies and others was did you just was it you told me it was thir- what did i see 3900 people got laid off somewhere ibm yeah ibm yeah, yeah. You, you told me that earlier right, right? Mm-hmm. yeah you told me that earlier and and so you see that every day you're seeing thousands of people getting laid off and that's where you look at it and say oh boy we're you know we're 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 going into a recession and even though there's jobs available you know, are those jobs that those people are that they're qualified? You know, you have technical jobs that are still available. Are those jobs that people want? Right. You know, will people stretch out unemployment as long as they possibly as long as they possibly can because they don't wish to work those jobs? And we know we live in a society now 
I've been in talk radio long enough that when I, I feel like when I was young, <laughs> when I was a young talk show host, if you got on and said there are jobs Americans didn't want to do, your phones wouldn't stop with people telling you you were insane. Now it's accepted. Yeah, right. It's accepted that, no, no, Americans don't want to do those jobs, and it doesn't matter whether they're laid off or not. They don't want to, you know. No, we used to get pushback when we'd say something like that on the air. What do you mean? Yep. Now nobody pushes back. No. No, no. Um, And, you know, what is especially tone deaf with the president and the administration on manufacturing. Oh, man. A week after the uh, New York manufacturing numbers come in and show a very deep contraction in and, that type of activity. And the Richmond numbers just a couple days ago were right. bad. The yeah. Richmond Fed. Yeah. And you're looking just like, what are you talking about? And you That's notice- why, again, you look for uh, them to cite something. You attach it to a yeah. story. Uh, you, you attach it to numbers from a department. Something. And but it was just the tweet. And you see every day on his tweets, it's about how great the economy is. Right. Like, I don't people, even if people are employed, the economy is not just whether you're employed. The economy, as we have always stated, the economy is what you make, mm-hmm. what your, what your income is compared to your outgo. Mm-hmm. And so you can be employed and still think the economy stinks. And so when he's out there, I mean, it's just, it's delusional, these things. But the manufacturing one, especially knowing what the figures are for manufacturing and how they've crashed the last couple of months to numbers that are back to May of 2020. Yeah. That's, it's so incredibly tone deaf where it's like, he just doesn't care. They just keep throwing it out, going, well, if we keep repeating it over and over again, people will finally agree with us. It's like, okay. I mean, that's it. Your social media director must be just saying, well, at least I'm not Green Jean-Pierre. You know, it's like the hardest job is social media director of a professional sports team when they're in last place constantly. And every day you have to put out something positive. Right. Right. And it becomes a joke. Right. It's like, oh, we almost had one yesterday. Oh, you lost uh, a... I'm using hockey as my reference. You lost six to one. Hey, we scored a goal. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, a tweet like Amer- American manufacturing is back in the wake of such horrific numbers. That's that really is as tone deaf as you can yeah. get. It's or <laughs> something you can relate to. <laughs> the Cowboys game pulled a 40 rating. Yeah, right. Last week. Right. Does anybody care? The Cowboys uh, fans are like, yeah, but we don't we don't care. We don't care. Season's <laughs> over. Yeah, we don't we don't care if we pulled in big. I decided to use the Cowboys instead yeah. of the Bills. Yeah, I just, right. I just, it <laughs> makes me feel a lot better. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, but but that's how do you get a, you know, how do you rally the troops? Well, you point to the positive. Yeah, but you can't lie about something that huge. Well, you can't, you know. There, there is no positive there. Why would you even choose that? When I saw that, I went, it's almost as bad as saying, I take 
this very I, I he might as well have said <laughs> I take the economy extremely seriously. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, if you ask a question about uh, manufacturing today, they'll uh, uh they'll just refer you to White House counsel. <laughs> 86690 red eye. A month ago, agriculture department economists were forecasting grocery store food prices would rise in 2023 by about three and a half to four and a half percent, certainly better than the 11 plus percent we saw last year. But now, instead of four percent, we are forecasting an eight percent increase in prices. Ouch. USDA economist Matt McLaughlin says that's actually the midpoint of the possible forecast range of between 4.5 and 11.7 percent. He says this is a result of a new sophisticated system for price forecasting that gives a range of possible food price hikes. It'll be a wide range here at the first of the year because, of course, there are still a lot of changes yet to happen this year. We could again have some changes in interest rates uh, like we've seen for the past few months. Uh, We could have events like highly pathogenic avian influenza, which changed egg prices last year. There's a lot to come in this year. So the range of forecasts will narrow as 2023 wears on. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The USDA report is brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL Premium Highway Diesel Fuel. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. Personalize savings on commercial truck insurance with Smart Haul from Progressive. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Not available in all states or situations. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. You know, I was just uh, thinking as we talk about the economy and everything else, and, you know, and, and we had talked about the when you mentioned, you know, the that uh, some economists viewed uh, the short time where we had a huge loss of GDP during COVID, mm. March of 2020 to Mar- May, whatever, that they view that as a recession because, you know, because of COVID. And I started thinking just a couple of weeks ago, remember all the hype about the new variant of Omicron? Yeah. Remember how it was all yeah. over the place? Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's time to mask up and everything else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Cases are going down. Cases are back down into the, you know, the and, and not cases, excuse me, hospitalizations. Because cases right now, I don't I don't think cases tell you anything because people people have moved on from COVID. Yeah, I, the behavior is different right, in terms right. of knowing it's, how many cases there might be. Right. Gauging that is, is far so, from accurate. The only thing you can gauge is hospitalizations, which I'm looking at. Right. And hospitalizations are in the 20,000s right now, mm-hmm. which is if you look at it, uh, you know, that's you, if you look at it, we got last summer down to basically the seven day moving average of about 20,000. OK, so right, right now, right. as of the last uh, uh, last one, 27,000 is the, the last day of the, the average that they have taken of people being hospitalized. Mm. To give you an, an example, when when we were talking about. Uh, back in January of uh, of last year, uh, it was 145,000. Yeah. So this whole thing that they I, and I'm wondering I, again, people I think just take it as another scare tactic, right? But it's like, oh, this is a new variant and it's much more contagious. You better watch out. And now we see hospital cases going down the last two weeks.
Individuals and businesses with the nightly red eye radio. It's red eye radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, red eye. So, just reading, I just started reading an interesting article right now um, from uh, uh, author uh, Niall Ferguson mm. uh, of the Hoover Institution, senior fellow. Uh, yeah. saying that, and, and, uh, Thomas Sowell's a part of the Hoover Institution, uh, uh, Victor Davis Hansen, you know, um, and, uh, a lot of other, you know, conservatives just wrote an article in CNBC. You probably saw it. The idea of globalization, of deglobalization is a mirage. Yeah. And he's, it depends. We've always said, you know, globalization, it all depends on what you mean by saying globalization. Mm. There's two different meanings to globalization. Mm-hmm. One is free trade among nations, and the other, you know, the whole the other thing when people say they're against globalization would be like getting into international uh, international uh, uh, agreements where you lose control of of your autonomy. You know, Brexit right. a part of that. You know, right, the whole, right, right. That globalization movement. He's talking, I believe, the globalization, well, the uh, deglobalization mindset that we're going to produce everything here in the United States. And, you know, and and uh, I think, you know, you look at what's happened over the last uh, 20 years or so, and you look at Russia, you look at China. Uh, China is, a you know, when you look at it, I believe that globalization takes its natural course. For example, globalization, part of globalization is, the, and, and the, the thought process that deglobalization is happening, I think, is because of of uh, of uh, uh, you know uh, trade routes mm-hmm. of um, what do you call it the the um, manufacturing lines supply chains. Sub- thank you. Mm-hmm. Ah, I'm getting old. So, mm-hmm. the, the, the supply chains. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have an unreliable supply chain, you're not going to continue with that. That doesn't mean that you're deglobalizing. It simply means you got to find supply chains that are more efficient. And more efficient and productive to you, and those may be closer to you. Yeah, you know right. we we've often thought because of the situation with China and the fact that they just can't get rid of communism. Mm-hmm. You know, they just they they can't make that switch, and if they can't make that switch, if they believe they're going to be a hybrid, they're never going to be able to succeed. You know, China's having problems now, and they're going to continue to have problems. We view it and think that China has no problems. China has problems. Yeah, right. China well, their policy on on COVID, COVID uh, you know, it is it, it played into the supply chain issues we were having uh, because of the protocols that were in place and what had to be done in order for those uh, shipping uh, barges to clear. And also, you know, which basically is slowing down those routes tremendously. That was a huge issue. And now they're dealing with COVID uh, because they essentially opened everything up, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't essentially shut it down forever. They couldn't keep the inevitable from happening. And right. those, you know, those, but that's been in play pre-COVID. That's been in play to some extent about, all right, what makes more sense to have manuf- more manufacturing here um, and where the, where the, the, the consumer base is, uh, or to have it uh, overseas where we can save a lot of money. And ultimately, you know, you've got to make that move. And when you make that move, 
or that decision, whether it's chips for right, computers well, or anything else, then it has to be it's going to be something that is likely going to be permanent or at least in place for a few decades. Right. And, and you're going to, you know, building building chip manufacturers here. It's like, OK, we don't know what the future is going to bring. We can't right. go through this again. We can't right. go through a multi-year period where we can't get chips for cars. Right. It's just that isn't permissible in the supply chain. And so you say, OK, we need to make it closer to us. Deglobalization also goes, uh, you know, globalization also goes through uh, historic events like, oh, shipping costs mm. and shipping costs a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, OK, we made a mistake. We need to build. We need to manufacture and sell the final product closer to home. It doesn't mean that if you have an automobile plant and you've got, I don't know, 11,000 parts in a car that. 8,000 of them are made all around the world Mm. and then brought in and you can use that shipping supply line. But the fact is you can't have that manufactured product and that of that wealth of that vehicle sit for five, six months. You need that here right now. Mm -hmm. And so the other parts of it, you may be able and you may be able to change with the other parts and get out of different countries because you're only talking about a small widget that may be. Ten countries have a supply chain for, but once that final product is built, you need to have it there. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're always going to have, and and people will say, no, everything should be built American. It's not going to happen. You can wish it all you want. It isn't going to happen. And why isn't it going to happen? Because people like to say things like that until they have to pay the price to have that vision. Yeah. Have that vision become a reality. Right. And then it's like, what are you talking about? I can't pay 40% more than I could for it if it wasn't produced here. And and so uh, I agree with him. I don't think – I don't know who's saying deglobaliz- you know, that we're in a period of deglobalization. Uh, I think you're, it's shifting. It's a realignment it, of, the, of the trade routes that I think yes. and supply chains that has been in play. Some of it you can point at COVID. Some of it you can point at higher energy costs. Um, and you know, some of it you can point at changing demand. Well, if, if you want more, if, if you want more globalization, the energy policy of the United States is going to give you that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Because it won't, energy is too expensive here. Where is it cheap? Mm -hmm. So you can sit there and say, okay, for the next couple of decades, we're not going to produce in China or Russia. And all of a sudden Russia's got all the, you know, everything you need and they want investment and their energy is cheap and we're living in the delusional world that you can produce everything with solar and wind and we can't even keep our grid up well yeah then globalization is going to increase and so i think there's ebbs and flows but we're never going to you know i never viewed it as okay the decision has been made in the marketplace to to deglobalize right Right. it It was was not a deliberate choice saying we're done with that, and we're we're going to um, uh, recentralize everything, you know, and and bring it back to the U.S. for the sake of deglobalization, for for the sake of the public policy that's of of that that exists out there of of deglobalization. Right, right. No, it 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 may match some of the rhetoric that is out there, but it's not. It the may reason. satisfy some of those who are calling for that. Yes, but, but it's it not is. The you know, it it is. A constant, and, and it really is a constant, 
ebb and flow and adjustment of the supply chain. And you look at where China is uh, as a nation. They don't have the ability. There are a lot of things they can't produce. They rely on the rest of the world for a ton of very basic items that are the foundation of any economy and stability of a nation, including energy. And it's tough to it's it's tough in a nation, you know. It, it's when you when you attempt to meld communism into capitalism, because it's impossible to keep that. I mean, part of the problem that they're having once you get people that acquire wealth, they acquire influence. Right. And communism can't allow that. Right. And you know, you look at how illogical it was the lockdowns of COVID. You know, we we talk about here in the United States. You know, many people's feelings where they, they looked at it and said, well, these are the liberals that that wanted to control more of society. And you look how everything ended up. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what we have found, we talked yesterday about the at least 300,000 excess deaths here in the United States uh, because of the lockdowns and things that we had here. Well, then you see, and, and I'm not going to try to play doctor here, but I'm sure that Part of the reason is the incredible lockdowns and not allowing people to move meant that people didn't become didn't get immunity, uh, uh, you know, over the period of two years. And all of a sudden you say lockdowns are gone and everybody's out there and nobody's had covid. And boy, it's going to spread like you can't believe. And you're going to have hospitalizations like you can't believe. I mean, that's normally how a virus would would spread. But to do that was so illogical and to be such, you know, hardliners on it really does show how authoritarianism that we believe, well, if you live in an authoritarian state, you can get things done real quick. Well, uh-huh. you can also screw things up extremely quick. And the mindset is in an authoritarian society, you can accomplish things quick if that person in charge says, here's what we're going to do because you don't need to you know, do a conference call on it. That one person, that one party gets to make that decision yeah, right. and boom, it goes. But it can also have the reverse on you, which is, you do things that are so completely illogical and stupid that can help to destroy your your uh, your economy and the confidence in people that you can accomplish anything. And so, um, uh, I just I just thought the article was interesting because I do think that you probably will see. I do think there's going to be more development in South America that the United States is going to use. Expect more. Uh, I would think of of uh, of Mexico. Yeah, you know, I, would, of, I would think so. Of using North and, and yeah. South America for our, you know, our supply, you know, for m- much more of our supply chains and that occurring over the next 25 years or so. It doesn't happen in a year, but in the next 25 years that you would see a a shift unless and there may be a shift and, and maybe not. You know, India has their problems, too. Yeah, but remember and, the Namaste Trump rally? That sentiment is probably on hold right now for in terms of how we view india india yes. while we will still i'm sure have you know a, a number of agreements in in the works and in place that was a that was a totally different time and that's the one thing i think the lesson on on covid if you want to apply it to the supply chain was to show how fragile that supply chain actually already was Mm -hmm. and 
when you and Wall Street Journal did a great job in 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 kind of lining that out in one video. And I think you could probably do a, a series of a documentary series on going back to say, OK, what was it before? And the fact that it was flowing didn't mean it wasn't fragile. It just meant that it was, you know, it, it, it could mean, you know, that uh, at any point it could break. But it required a break in many different areas where we do business around the world. Sort which, of like the grid. Well, that's it. <laughs> so, you know, you've you've got a tire and there's barely any tread on it. And your car is still rolling. But at some point there could be a failure. And when that failure happens... You're def- it's definitely going to ruin your day. Well, in this case, you had all of these, the, the breakdown because of the different protocols put into place. And that is really what hit the break in several different areas along the supply and, chain. And not just internationally, but nationally, when we talk about the supply chains, ports. Yeah, right. You know, the belief now of many companies that we're not going to rely on the ports of California. Right. And they actually changed and Exactly. They changed to Texas and to uh, Savannah, Georgia, New York, New Jersey. Uh, They did that for, you know, in in, uh, the second quarter of last year and ramping up for the fourth quarter demand. But that is still in place and likely won't change anytime soon because you can't count on uh, the the unions at the port in L.A. to say, okay, we've decided – we're going to agree to do this and do that. You've got to keep things going. You're never going to stop capitalism from searching for higher productivity. Right. No, we're always looking for greater efficiency, you know, more and more. I saw one. Well, analyst, it's human nature. We do that in yeah, our own lives right. every day. No, that's that's we shop with our dollar yeah. or we vote with our dollar. You know, we're we're choosing. OK, like you said, uh, if you wanted to have everything, every component. Every single component of a car built here in the U.S. Nobody could afford what, it. What would the actual cost be? Yeah. We do vote with our dollar. Eight six six ninety red eye We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. I had to read. All right. Okay. Hillary Clinton boasts of having no classified documents from her time as president. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Pence turns him <laughs> Mike Pence turns himself in to childhood scoutmaster <laughs> after z- discovering he accidentally kept not tying manual. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um I'm just telling I you bet that. they've had a, a just a heyday with all this. Uh, but you know at some point they have to look at it and even though we still have lots of laughter here on the show, they look at the Biden thing and go, you know, this is getting pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. How long can you be funny about it? Yeah. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. 
The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? (laughs) (laughs) In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen.